And so, the sixth session of the Scottish Parliament is underway. Committees are forming, themes are emerging, as the members do battle with COVID and seek the recovery. for recovery as Nicola Sturgeon reshuffles her government. Warning for farmers and crofters as Boris Johnson woos down under. And Alex Salmond reflects on the supermajority that failed to flourish. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Hollywood. This is, without a doubt, uh, the most important and momentous parliamentary term since the Scottish Parliament was re-established and I've got a team of cabinet secretaries now who are ready for the big challenges that lie ahead. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon has recharged her government with a front load to drive the recovery from Covid. Her deputy John Swinney will take the programme to boost the country. Kate Forbes will lead on finance and funding while Hamza Yusuf takes control of Scotland's health. In a long night of the briefs, Angus Robertson takes charge of constitutional affairs. Michael Matheson has his transport role enhanced. Mary Goodrum becomes Rural Affairs Secretary. And Keith Brown takes on justice. Shirley Ann Somerville moves to education. And it's no surprise to see a return to the Cabinet for Miss Sturgeon's old pal, Shona Robertson. She's given housing and local government. Here's Nicola Sturgeon. This is a serious cabinet for really serious times. It's a combination of experience, which we need, with new talent. And it is absolutely 100% geared to tackling the big challenges we face. Firstly, getting us through this COVID crisis, recovering from COVID in an economic sense, economic renewal right at the heart of Kate Forbes' new brief, but also tackling the climate emergency, driving our progress to net zero, which is Michael Matheson's responsibility, and also making sure that we are lifting children and families out of poverty, building a much more equal Scotland, and Shona Robison is back to take charge of that. So this is a cabinet that is focused and ready to go. This is, without a doubt, uh, the most important and momentous parliamentary term since the Scottish Parliament was re-established, and I've got a team of cabinet secretaries now who are ready for the big challenges that lie ahead. Long-standing ministers Fergus Ewing and Fiona Hislop are out of the cabinet. Deputy First Minister John Swinney has a major new role in leading Scotland into recovery from Covid. The First Minister made clear during the election campaign that our immediate priority on winning the election, which is what the SNP has just done, would be to focus on the handling of Covid and the immediate steps to deliver recovery from Covid. That's exactly what has preoccupied the First Minister in the course of the work that she's done yesterday and today and uh, that will be the, uh, the, the foundations to the steps that the government takes forward in the next few days. Away from the Holyrood reshuffle, Scottish farmers and crofters fear they could be out of business by a Brexit trade deal being set up by Whitehall. This latest move by Number 10 will allow cheap Australian beef and lamb to be imported into the UK. Boris Johnson's cabinet ministers are apparently split over signing off on the trade deal with Australia, as it could grant tariff-free access for Australian farmers. 
The SNP's Westminster leader Ian Blackford is calling on Boris Johnson to back down. The Prime Minister dismissed his concerns. Mr Speaker, as a member of Scotland's crofting community, I understand just how disastrous a Brexit trade deal with Australia as proposed by this Tory government be for Scotland's farming and crofting sectors. If reports of this Tory deal are true, farmers will lose their livelihoods, rural businesses will collapse and ultimately families will be driven off the land. And let's be very clear, if that happens, this UK Tory government will be solely responsible. So just for once, Prime Minister, give a straight answer to these farming and crofting families who are living with this threat. Can the Prime Minister categorically rule out that his government is prepared to sign up to a trade deal that will at any future point guarantee tariff-free access to Australian lamb and beef? Yes or no? Minister. Mr Speaker, I know that the Right Honourable, I'm delighted to see the shots of his croft. Uh, by the way, uh, the, the, the humble, the humble uh, representative of the, of the crofting uh, community. May, may I say that I, I don't think that he does justice uh, to, uh, to crofters, to farmers across the country uh, and across in Scotland as well, Mr Speaker, because I think he grossly underestimates their ability uh, to uh, do great things with our free trade deals, to export Scottish beef around the world, Mr Speaker. Why doesn't he believe in what the people of Scotland can do, Mr Speaker? Why is he so frightened of free trade? I think there's a massive opportunity for Scotland and for the whole of the UK, and he should seize it and be proud of it. Going back to Ian Blackford, Ian. Thank you, Mr Speaker. That was quite chilling, to try and treat something as serious as this in the way that the government and the Prime Minister has done is really quite pathetic. The fact that the Prime Minister couldn't give a straight answer will send a real chill across Scotland's farming communities. The UK government led the betrayal of Scottish fishing, and now the Tories are planning to throw our farmers and crofters under their Brexit bus. This morning, Martin Kennedy, President of the National Farmers Union Scotland, told ITV that farmers will feel seriously betrayed by these proposals. This deal would be the final nail in the coffin for many Scottish crofters and farmers. It will end a way of life that has endured for generations, generations, Prime Minister. I know that many of the Prime Minister's Tory colleagues privately agree with me and want him to pull back from this deal. So will the Prime Minister finally listen, think again, and ditch a deal that will send our farmers down under? My Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I, I, I really think, well, first of all, he's totally wrong about what he says about the fisheries, uh, because, in fact, there are massive opportunities for fisheries for the whole uh, of the UK as we take back control of our territorial waters. And that will be the same for Scotland and around the UK. And I think, he, again, he is, he is, he is uh, grossly uh, underestimating the ability of the, the people of this country, the, the agricultural communities of this country, uh, the, the farming industry, to make the most of free trade. This is a country, this is a country that, that grew... Uh, successful and prosperous on free trade, on exporting around the world. Our food exports are second to none, Mr Speaker. Uh, he should be proud of that. He should be celebrating that. And all he does, Mr Speaker, is call for us to put up the drawbridge and go back into the EU to be run by Brussels. That's his manifesto, and I, I, I think the people of this country have decisively rejected it.
Around 500 jobs are at risk in Glasgow as the biscuit company McVitie's says it's closing its operation in the city's east end. David Linden, SNP, Glasgow East, is calling on the Prime Minister to intervene to save the factory from closure. The Prime Minister will be aware of Gladys's proposal to close the McVitie's factory in Glasgow's East End, putting at risk up to 470 local jobs. So will the Prime Minister join with me in engaging with Gladys Global CEO Salman Amin and call upon him to rethink these plans, which would definitely unleash economic Armageddon on a very, very, very fragile part of the local economy? Yeah, yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, yes, I'm, I think uh, McVitie's have been a proud part of the Scottish economy uh, since uh, 1800. And uh, I, know, I know that uh, people at the, at the Tollcross uh, factory, their, their relatives, will be very concerned about uh, what's happening. I thank him uh, for raising it. I know that conversations are, uh, are now going on uh, to see what we can uh, do with I think it's the Turkish company uh, that, that now owns um, Vitties. Uh, and I know my honourable friend, the Secretary of State for, for Scotland, is, uh, is meeting an honourable uh, member to discuss the situation. Now the pandemic continues, although its grip has lessened. Cases are growing in East Renfrewshire and is now overtaking Glasgow. Numbers are falling in Moray. Most of the mainland is in Level 2, but this may be re-rated by the Scottish Government on a continuing basis. The vaccination rollout, test and protect, plus reduced restrictions are all helping us in the battle to save lives and recover some sense of normality. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, says we can't afford to let our guard down. More on that shortly, but first to business in this new session of the Scottish Parliament. It's under a new presiding officer, of course, Alison Johnston. The first urgent question is from James Dornan, SNP, Glasgow, Cathcart. To ask the Scottish Government what engagement it has had with Police Scotland and Rangers Football Club regarding the reported COVID-19 regulation breaches, incidences of vandalism, violence and anti-Catholic bigotry in Glasgow City Centre and at Ibrox Stadium on the 15th of May. Call Cabinet Secretary Hamza Youssef. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer, and uh, let me welcome you to your post, which I didn't get to do uh, in my last urgent question. Uh, in response to James Donner's question, I was in regular contact with Police Scotland over the weekend as the appalling events unfolded in Glasgow. First and foremost, I want to record my thanks to the officers on the ground, some of whom suffered injuries as they went about their job. That assault on our officers is simply unacceptable. I'm disappointed on many levels with the selfishness of the COVID breaches, but perhaps more so with the violence and vandalism that we saw in George Square and with the anti-Catholic bigotry that we saw on display. Since the weekend, my officials and I have continued to liaise with Police Scotland, engage with Rangers Football Club directly to discuss the fallout and consider next steps. Police Scotland have set up a dedicated team an online portal to investigate the George Square incidents, and I envisage that arrests will follow in the days and weeks ahead. Rangers are working closely with Police Scotland to identify any supporters who are involved in criminal activity, and I would urge Rangers to take strong action against any fan who is found to have broken the law. James Dornan. I thank the Cabinet Secretary for that answer. Saturday's scenes were an utter disgrace, and like many, I am sick and tired of Rangers fans thinking they are above the law. Vandalism, violence between themselves and towards the police, anti-Catholic bigotry and anti-Irish racism shows us that we have a major problem in Scotland, and we must tackle it. 
The blame for the abhorrence scenes lies squarely with those Rangers fans in attendance, but the club itself has a major role to play in both the messages it sends and the behaviour of club members. Can I ask the Cabinet Secretary how Saturday's chaos could affect Glasgow's COVID rate, which is already concerning, and also what actions the Government is taking and intends to take to eradicate anti-Catholic bigotry and anti-Irish racism in Scotland? Cabinet Secretary. Constated James Dorney probably expresses the anger that many citizens of Glasgow, but I suspect even those right across the country, uh, feel. What I will say in relation to Rangers Football Club is, in fairness to the club, uh, they have engaged for a number of weeks with Police Scotland, with the Scottish Government, with Glasgow City Council, and they did, of course, release a statement asking their fans, pleading with their fans, to respect the COVID uh, guidelines. Uh, what I would say is I would have liked that messaging to have been probably more explicit and, and, and stronger, but nonetheless, that messaging... Uh, did come forth. But I think James Doran hits on an important point here, that as much as people may, and I think you know, legitimately, of course, ask, could government have done more? Could police have done more? Could the club have done more? Let's not forget that the responsibility for those scenes that we saw, those dreadful scenes, lies on the shoulders of those individuals who took part in that disorder. There must be personal responsibility for those who don't need government to tell them, don't need police to tell them, don't need a football club to tell them, that we are in the midst of a global pandemic. So personal responsibility must be taken. As I say, Police Scotland will follow up. In terms of the health impact, Professor Jason Leach, I heard him this morning on, on Good Morning Scotland, uh, and he was saying from a clinical perspective that we may never know if mass gatherings by Rangers fans in Glasgow will be a super spreader event, uh, of course, while expressing disappointment at the event, and we'll just need to see how the data looks in the coming weeks. In terms of the points that James Dornan raises around anti-Catholic and anti-Irish bigotry, it is disgusting, it is disgraceful, I have zero tolerance for it. I don't doubt for a second that it will be part of the, the investigations that Police Scotland have committed to following up, and every single one of us has a responsibility to call it out and call it what it is. James Dornan. Okay, and I, I do thank Police Scotland, I welcome Police Scotland establishing a dedicated inquiry team to investigate the carnage at George Square However, we also need to take steps from preventing these abhorrent scenes in the first place. As the Cabinet Secretary is well aware, I've been pushing strict liability for years, whereby clubs are held responsible for the actions of their fans. And whilst I do accept that personal responsibility is at the core of this, over the years I've been met with denial by football authorities and clubs and had death threats from Rangers fans. Can I ask the Cabinet Secretary if he'll speak with Rangers to ask them to reflect on what more they could have done as a club what they can do in the future to dampen this climate of hate and intimidation? Will he consider legislating to introduce strict liability or even better, work with the SFA and SPFL with a view of implementing it to ensure that scenes such as Saturday are never seen in the streets of Glasgow again from so-called football fans? Cabinet Secretary. Well, you know, I, I certainly am happy to take that conversation forward, or indeed, uh, of course, after tomorrow's events, whoever uh, is in post as Cabinet Secretary for Justice, working alongside... Uh, any minister that has responsibility for sport. I think it is important to engage with the clubs. I think it is important to try to bring, bring the clubs forward with us in this journey as opposed to trying to impose uh, measures upon them. But ultimately, that is what we may have to do. If the clubs are unwilling to acknowledge, uh, unwilling to accept, unwilling to confront the fact that there is a problem among some fans, uh, then, of course, we may have to work uh, together as a chamber, as a parliament, uh, to find a solution uh, that is appropriate. But I would urge, we've just heard some excellent speeches, I would urge parliamentarians to, to work collaboratively together. Many here, right across the chamber, are football fans uh, of, 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 of various clubs. And I think we have a responsibility to work together to try to find a solution, and a long-standing, uh, lasting solution uh, to this. But I'm happy 
to, in my role, uh, and, and, and I'm sure whoever is the Cabinet Secretary for Justice, I will be happy to work with James Dornan because he has uh, championed uh, this issue and, and, and strict liability is one of those options, is one that should remain firmly on the table. Thank you. I'll take Pauline McNeill to be followed by Patrick Harvey. Given that Glasgow witnessed disorder and violence by some range of supporters in George Square only a few months previously, why did we not learn from this? But in relation to the obscene anti-Catholic bigotry and anti-Irish racism, which I'm pleased the First Minister and the Justice Secretary rightly called out, does the First Minister acknowledge that the Catholic community are sick and tired of this? And we need everyone to work together, including the football organisations, and they need to take a much tougher stance than they have done previously with a zero tolerance to bigotry wherever it is found, football and beyond. Yeah, yes, I absolutely agree with the, the articulation uh, of, of Pauline McNeill in terms of the problem, uh, the issue. Let me just say on her first uh, question, as it was, the, the, what, what have we learned in terms of the disorder that we saw in March? I would say to Pauline McNeill, and this is extended to any other member, that having spoken to Police Scotland, they are willing to speak to any member of the Parliament uh, to, to explain to them uh, why the operational decisions were taken as they were taken. There is not an easy answer. To this. If people think that you can just, and I'm not suggesting Pauline McNeill is suggesting this, but if people think that we can just throw 10,000 people in the back of a police van uh, or in custody suites uh, overnight, that can't be done. Uh, and therefore, actually ensuring that the, that disorder took place, didn't take place in the very heart of our communities uh, was one of the very difficult decisions Police Scotland had to try to take. But look, those operational questions are very legitimate for Pauline McNeill and other members to ask. Uh, and having spoken to Police Scotland, they have said to me that they are absolutely willing uh, to do that. In terms of the substance of her question around uh, anti-Catholic hatred, anti-Irish hatred, uh, I'm disgusted by it. She's right. Uh, I think she's absolutely correct to say that the Irish community, members of the Catholic community, uh, have faced this for far too long. And perhaps collectively as a parliament, we haven't done enough to, 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 to call it out. And I accept uh, that from my own government perspective uh, too. Uh, I woke up this morning to two rabid anti-Catholic messages which I've reported to police. Now, I'm neither a Catholic nor am I Irish, uh, but uh, that uh, hatred was directed towards me, uh, and I am intending to call it out, and I've reported it already uh, to the police uh, this morning. So, um, certainly on this issue, uh, I suspect we will have uh, support, uh, we will have collaboration, and I'm happy to work with any member right across the chamber uh, on calling out hatred and bigotry of any kind. Thank you. Patrick Harvey, to be followed by Liam Kerr. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And to reinforce James Dornan's point, uh, given that so many thousands of fans are clearly unwilling or incapable uh, of listening to encouragement uh, and uh, appeals for civilised behaviour, is it not abundantly clear that we're only going to see significant change when every fan of every club knows that any hint of vandalism, violence, antisocial behaviour or bigotry will bring not only criminal sanctions for themselves as an individual, but immediate and severe sanctions for the club that they follow, whether through the law or through the football authorities. Cabinet Secretary. I think Patrick Harvey makes a strong point, as did James Dornan, so strict liability should be on the table. Uh, other suggestions that I've heard that should be on the table include potentially an independent regulator, as has been discussed for the English game. So, therefore, if football is unable to regulate itself, uh, th th then perhaps somebody independent uh, to look at that uh, should be considered. I think the clubs could also take stronger action. Uh, I've referenced in my opening answer that Rangers Football Club have committed to work with Police Scotland. I hope any supporter 
uh, any fan, anybody involved with Rangers Football Club that uh, has been found guilty of being involved in uh, anti-Catholic bigotry or vandalism or disorder will get a lifetime ban from the club. Uh, that is a punishment that probably uh, fans uh, would, 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 would fear the most. So uh, I think Patrick Harvey's points are, are well made. And as I say, this government will work cross-party to come to some, I hope, solution. And hopefully we can bring the clubs with us on this journey. Liam Kerr to be followed by Co-Cap Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The scenes we saw at the weekend were disgraceful. The attacks on our excellent police officers were particularly reprehensible. But crucially, coronavirus and the public health advice do not distinguish between reasons for gatherings, noting only that the risk of transmission is increased where they occur. So does the Cabinet Secretary agree with me that to avoid public confusion, it is very important to ensure consistency of public health messaging by advising against all gatherings? Cabinet Secretary. I mean, well, that absolutely is important. And, and look, I get the point that Liam Kerr is trying to make. I stood here on Friday, uh, took an urgent question on Friday. I think it was Alex Cole Hamilton that asked me a supplementary question. I made it abundantly clear that actually any gatherings of any sort shouldn't happen. We've said that from the podium of daily briefings. We say it in this chamber. I have said, the First Minister said, that actually if it wasn't for COVID uh, regulations, then we would have been, for example, at Kenmuir Street. But we, don't, we didn't go because any gathering of any sort uh, is not something that we would encourage because... Uh, of, 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 of the public health emergency. But what I would say to, to Liam Kerr, uh, very genuinely, is that we did not see thuggish, loutish behaviour in Kenmuir Street. We didn't see disorder. We didn't see protesters punching police officers. We didn't see protesters urinating in public. We didn't hear anti-Catholic bigotry on Kenmuir Street or indeed in some of the other gatherings. So when it comes to the public health emergency, he's absolutely right. It doesn't distinguish. But let's not think that there is an absolute equivalence between what we saw at the weekend, those scenes of disorder, and what we saw in Pollock Shields or indeed in some other gatherings over the weekend. So I will continue to do what is important and necessary in the public health interest. And I hope that we can get the support of other parties in that endeavour. And Co-Cab Stewart. As the MSP for Glasgow Kelvin, a constituency that covers George Square, I have been contacted by numerous residents that live in the city centre and, along with myself, are appalled and disgusted by the behaviour of, frankly, a mob in the guise of football fans. Will the Minister agree that my constituents in Glasgow Kelvin should not have to listen to such bigotry and racism and witness such disgusting violence and vandalism in their streets? And what steps is the Minister taking to prevent a repeat of these shameful events? Cabinet Secretary. Uh, first of all, can I, can I welcome uh, Co-Cab Stewart to this chamber? I'm delighted she's been elected. I don't know if this is her first intervention, but I suspect it may well be. Uh, and uh, it's not a surprise to me that she's hit the ground running uh, asking questions on behalf of our constituents uh, within the first full week of, of, of parliamentary business. So uh, to answer her question directly, I will ensure that Police Scotland speak to her and debrief her as the local constituency MSP. I know she has made uh, that request, and I think it is important that people can ask Police Scotland. I support the actions taken by Police Scotland over the weekend, but it's important people do ask those questions uh, on behalf of their constituents about those operational uh, matters. We will do our best to, 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 to stop gatherings like this from taking place and disorder from taking place. Police Scotland will always do that in the best interest of public order and public safety. But can I go back to the point I made to James Dornan at the beginning of, of this question exchange? And that was that people must accept personal responsibility. You do not need the government, nor police, nor football clubs to tell you that assaulting police officers is wrong. 
or running a mock and creating disorder or vandalism in our city centre is wrong, uh, or that urinating in public is wrong, or that uh, engaging in anti-Catholic bigotry is wrong. You should know that. Uh, they are grown men and women taking part uh, in, in those scenes that we saw over the weekend. So CoCab Stewart has my absolute uh, commitment that uh, we will work closely with any stakeholder, club, city council, police, to ensure that we can prevent scenes like this in the future. But two, we must, too, be absolutely emphatic in saying that people hold personal responsibility here for their actions, and that's why Police Scotland will follow up in the coming weeks. You're listening to The Week in Holyrood. It's the first week of the new parliamentary session after the election, and we continue coverage from the Chamber with urgent questions from members. Thank you. We now move on to the second urgent question from Sandesh Gulhani, who's joining us remotely. Thank you. To ask the Scottish Government whether it will provide an update on rising COVID-19 cases in Glasgow and parts of the Greater Glasgow area. Cabinet Secretary John Swinney. May I welcome Dr Gulhani to Parliament on the occasion of his first question to Ministers. In her statement to Parliament on Friday the 14th of May, the First Minister outlined the latest status of the outbreaks in both Murray and Glasgow City, highlighting the public health response and plans to engage with local leaders, including around a package of support for the community and those affected. In the course of the last few days, there has been a significant expansion of the testing programme and capacity within the communities most directly affected by the increase in cases. This has also been supported by an expansion of the vaccination programme. The First Minister committed to reviewing the situation again at the end of this week. This will include a review of any further areas where concerns emerge and the formulation of an appropriate response to any such developments. Mr Gohani. As a GP and coming from Indian heritage, I am aware of the hesitancy of vaccine uptake by members of ethnic minorities, uh, and they are at greater risk of a bad outcome. So I'd like to ask what measures will the Scottish Government provide to ensure we appeal to and convince those that are hesitant to take up the vaccine? Cabinet Secretary. I think this is a very significant issue that's been raised by Dr Gohani, and I give him the assurance that the approaches taken in relation to the deployment and delivery of the vaccination programme have been specifically designed to address the very issue that he raises uh, by ensuring that communication and messages around the advantages of the vaccination programme are delivered within the communities affected, um, that we um, identify and encourage members of the community to essentially exercise um, a role within communicating the advantages of taking forward the vaccination programme and to ensure that um, all individuals who uh, have been eligible and will be in the future um, are supported by particular messaging of encouragement to take up the, vaccin uh, the vaccination. Um, obviously, uh, there are challenges in trying to reach uh, some of the affected communities, but I assure Dr Gohani of the specific communication measures that have been taken to make sure that that is in fact the case and we will sustain those uh, during this very critical period ahead. Mr Gulhani. Thank you. Glasgow businesses thrive on people visiting the city from other parts of the country to shop, to go to its restaurants and pubs and are hard hit by the current non-essential travel restrictions in force. Uh, what assessment has the Scottish Government undertaken to ensure the £750 they are receiving is sufficient to support affected businesses through the continued restrictions? Cabinet Secretary. 
President Officer, there, there is obviously a necessity for us in these circumstances to take action which none of us would ordinarily want to take, which essentially restricts movement because of the need to address the public health challenge that is before us. Um, so the conditions that are being applied in the City of Glasgow, um, we would prefer not to have to put in place, but we have to do so because of the public health imperative. The financial support that has been made available is regularly reviewed to determine its effectiveness and its appropriateness. It is consistent with the approaches that we have taken in other parts of the country and in other similar circumstances, and we do hope that these restrictions um, will only have to last for as short a period as possible. But during that period, we will continue to review and engage with the business community around the detail and the substance of the financial support that is available. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> there's a great deal of, of interest in these questions, as you would expect. I'm going to take Paul O'Kane to be followed by Pam Gossel. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And on my first contribution in this chamber, may I congratulate you uh, on being elected to the chair. Uh, we are now in a race against time between new variants spreading and the number of people vaccinated. And that's particularly true in places like East Renfrewshire in my region and indeed Midlothian, where uh, numbers are rising. Many local people and businesses I have spoken to are extremely anxious, given speculation that East Renfrewshire may move backwards to Level 3 restrictions just a matter of days after moving to Level 2. And past experience has shown us what is required to get outbreaks of the virus under control. And early evidence suggests that vaccines remain effective against the so-called Indian variant. It is imperative that businesses are able to plan as far ahead as possible in the face of spikes like the ones we are seeing in East Renfrewshire, particularly given that many staff in businesses have been taken on in anticipation of restrictions easing and are not covered by UK furlough schemes. So does the Deputy First Minister agree that the government needs to urgently prioritise an action plan for affected areas, which will ramp up vaccinations and testing and ensure proper measures for supporting local business to survive any changes in restrictions put in place at short notice. Cabinet Secretary. Uh, first of all, may I welcome uh, Mr O'Kane to, to, to Parliament and wish him well in representing his constituents. Um, uh, he raises a number of very significant issues, and what I would assure him about is that we are carefully monitoring on a daily basis the progress of uh, virus levels in every part of the country to ensure that we are able to signal where we may have to take action in due course. And I'm sure Mr O'Kane will accept, as I'm sure Parliament will accept, that some of these circumstances can change quite dramatically over a relatively short space or period of time. So we are reviewing that information, and uh, where we need to take action, we will do so. Having said that, uh, I also accept the very clear view that I have heard from the business community that it wishes to avoid situations where there is volatility in level setting. Um, I think we all agree that is an undesirable situation to be in. We were keen to move um, uh, as a whole country down the levels last week. That had been our intention, but for understandable reasons in Murray and Glasgow, we were unable to uh, make the change from level three to level two. Um, but we will be trying to minimise the degree of volatility in those judgments that are made um, at any stage. Um, the last point I, I would make is that there will be um, a, a need for ongoing dialogue with the business community around the measures that are necessary to support uh, recovery during these uncertain times. 
and I give Mr O'Kane in Parliament the assurance that ministers will be engaged in that dialogue on an ongoing basis to make sure that we support COVID recovery in every respect in our communities um, and that we try to manage our way through these uh, challenging times. Obviously, the more there is public compliance with the measures that are in place, the quicker we can get these outbreaks under control, and I would encourage such an approach to be taken in due course. Thank you. I call Pam Gossel to be followed by Alex Cole. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And I would also like to extend my congratulations to you. To ask the Scottish Government what actions the Government is taking to encourage people from the ethnic minority communities with lower vaccination uptake to book an appointment with their first dose as soon as possible, given the potential risks from the new Indian variant? Cabinet Secretary. First of all, could I welcome Pam Gossel to Parliament and, and wish her well in representing her constituents. Um, I covered a number of these points in my response to Sandesh Golhani in my earlier answers, but it is important that we all, and as members of Parliament, we all have a role here where we can encourage members of different communities to take up the vaccination. It is clear from all of the available data that vaccination provides a very substantial level of protection to any individual from the virus. And on the early evidence so far, and I stress it is early evidence, early evidence that the existing vaccinations are providing a very robust protection against the so-called Indian variant. So um, my message would be, and it's reinforced by the government's communication work and the public health work that is undertaken, of the advantages of the vaccination for every member of our community uh, as it offers a higher degree of protection in all circumstances. And uh, I certainly will... Uh, we've been taking steps over the last few, week, a few days uh, to reinforce that message, particularly given the intensity of the outbreak in the south side area of Glasgow, um, to reinforce that uptake message, and we will continue to do so in the coming weeks. And Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. NHS uh, Greater Glasgow and Clyde is writing to all those in the G41 and G42 postcode sectors to ask them to get tested. We know that surge testing works best when you go door to door. Any medical intervention should always be voluntary, but uptake is greatly heightened when the opportunity for a test appears on your doorstep. So can I ask the Deputy First Minister what consideration his government is giving to this measure? Cabinet Secretary. Well, in addition to the, the written co uh, correspondence to which Mr Cole Hamilton refers, uh, there are a number of steps that have been taken to deploy um, various aspects of testing capacity right into the heart of these communities. Lateral flow devices for self-testing are available from the Glasgow Central Mosque and seven other sites at mosques and Islamic education centres in Glasgow. Um, as of Friday, over 3,000 boxes of seven-pack te test kits had been distributed through these channels. Eleven local test sites in Glasgow have been adapted to operate as um, dual PCR and lateral flow device uh, sites all day um, from Saturday. That's across the working hours, 8 in the morning to 8 at night. Um, there's been mobile testing units deployed and, uh, in a number of locations. And also, um, we are uh, working with Glasgow City Council and NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde to deliver lateral flow devices to over 30,000 uh, households early this week, and we'll have 40,000 packs in Glasgow 
um, in the course of this week. So uh, there's a number of steps being taken to directly distribute lateral flow tests directly to households um, and we will continue to review all possible steps to make sure that we maximise uptake to um, minimise the spread of the virus by maximising testing capability within individual households. Here's Monica Lennon, Labour, Central Scotland. To ask the Scottish Government further to Green Cell Capital entering administration what action it is taking to mitigate the risk to jobs, vital industries and public finances in Scotland. Cabinet Secretary Fiona Hislop. Uh, can I also welcome you, Presiding Officer, to your, to your role. In answer to Monica Lennon, on the 24th of March, the Cabinet Secretary for the Rural Economy and Tourism, Fergus Ewing, gave a statement to Parliament outlining the potential impacts of Greensill Capital UK Limited's entering into administration on Scottish businesses. In particular, his statement focused on the potential impacts to the Lochaber aluminium smelter and the DL Steelworks. The Scottish Government's priority is to support Scotland's steel and aluminium sectors and the highly skilled jobs they provide. A ministerial task group and officials have been active throughout the election period, engaging with local management at Liberty Steel and the Lochaber Smelter, union representatives, the STUC, GFG and the UK Government. The Cabinet Secretary for Rural Economy and Tourism met with MSPs and MPs across the parties in April to provide an update on the GFG Alliance situation and we will continue to update parties across the Parliament. Monica Lennon. I thank the Cabinet Secretary for her response. When the Cabinet Secretary for Rural Economy gave that update to Parliament, he gave the impression that the GFG Alliance only needed to refinance. However, with the reported collapse of rescue deal talks, the situation is increasingly worrying for workers in local communities like those at Clydebridge and at DL in my own parliamentary region. At least 340 jobs in Scotland are at risk. And Scottish Government deals which had promised more jobs in the future are now looking doubtful. We welcome the engagement that is ongoing. Can I have a question, Ms. But can Lennon? the Cabinet Secretary explain what are the contingency plans in place to protect these vital jobs and industries? And if GFG Alliance fails to refinance, will the Government bring the Lacaber smelter under public ownership? Cabinet Secretary. As the member will be aware, and as would have been relayed to her at the time, refinancing, as she understands it uh, and should understand it, is a sensitive commercial matter for the GFG Alliance, and we need to be careful not to prejudice or undermine that process. But I think the member was alluding to the fact that this is a potentially changing situation, um, and clearly uh, the ministerial task group, which has been involved in two ministers and two cabinet secretaries regularly throughout this period, um, has been ensuring that we have clarity and understanding of what, as you can understand, is a very complex situation. So uh, our current plans are not to take into public ownership any of the sites. However, as we did when we intervened to save uh, the sites previously, we will look at all options as required to uh, when those situations uh, present themselves. However, um, as of now, we are monitoring the situation. We are uh, keeping very close contact, as should be aware, with the management in both and the, the workforce and the unions in both sites. Um, and it is important that they will have relayed to her, as they've relayed to us, that we have confidence in those sites, we recognise the skills in those sites, and we recognise the strategic assets that those sites present. 
And that was Fiona Hislop concluding her cabinet career and returning to the backbenches after many years in service in the Scottish Government. Fiona Hislop began her cabinet career during the term of First Minister Alex Hammond. He now leads the Alaba Party and reflects on failing to make the breakthrough and secure the so-called supermajority for independence. Alex Hammond was guest speaker at Glasgow Clyde College Journalism. Alex Hammond, a former leader of the SNP, former First Minister of Scotland and current leader of the Alaba Party, a party that launched only a matter of days into the Scottish election campaign last month. Uh, very exciting times, Alec. Uh, you certainly achieved what you said you would do, and that would be to set the heather alight. Uh, but you didn't manage to break through and get seats. What happened? Well, that's kind of unfortunate, because obviously the aim of elections is not to set the heather on fire, it's to, it's to win seats. I mean, in retrospect, basically, I would say time and television, not enough time and uh, certainly not enough television. Uh, it's uh, it, it was always a, a high-risk enterprise in terms of getting seats, uh, and uh, the, there was a fairly narrow window of success, which we didn't manage to hit. So you know, we made a few mistakes, which were basically mistakes of time, of systems having to be set up very quickly. The most cardinal one of which was we we didn't uh, weren't able to get either a description or or insignia on the ballot paper, which normally wouldn't be too much of a disadvantage. But if you've got twenty other parties on the ballot paper, it becomes a fairly substantial disadvantage. <laughs> but uh, that was just the, the uh, obviously Alpha was set up immediately before the elections. The electoral commission demanded you know, the insignia going in actually before the party was established, which is clearly impossible, uh, and weren't willing to bend, uh, although yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not quite worth arguing about, but it was a significant factor. So just time, time and television, and the television obviously is not getting into the television debates. Once you're crowded out the television debates, in an election which even more so than normal uh, was dominated by television because of the COVID environment. Uh, and uh, that was a big, big disadvantage. Now it's curtain up in the political theatre we call Hollywood. Welcome to your front row seat where we know what the outcome will be, but do enjoy this session as members elect Scotland's First Minister. First to pitch for the job, Lib Dem leader, Willie Rennie. I want Scotland to be a liberal country where everyone can live as they wish, not held back by prejudice or expectations where every single person can achieve their potential, lifted up by a healthy body and an educated mind. An open, outward-looking Scotland, not one that blames its neighbours for our problems. A country that looks to the needs of people next door, around the world or in the future, not just our own interests today. With people that come together to overcome the enormous challenges that time throws our way. That would be my driving philosophy as First Minister. And I'd start by putting recovery first. The people waiting up to three years for mental health treatment need recovery to come first. The friends and family of the 1,256 people who lost their lives in a single year to drugs deserves our attention. Those looking for work cannot wait or those desperate for a hip replacement or cancer treatment 
they cannot wait either, or a good education, or future generations who want a healthy planet. They all deserve our focus because they cannot wait behind another debate on the Constitution. That's why I would put recovery first. Now, with no single party has a majority, no one should assume the right to this office. Most people didn't vote for the largest party, so it's important their voices are heard today. I stand for First Minister with great hope, but a liberal dose of realism. This country is divided like never before, right down the middle according to the polls and according to the election results. But it's worse than that. Hardened supporters on each side cannot understand each other anymore. They have stopped listening to each other. And this election campaign entrenched those differences. The SNP often featured Boris Johnson more than Nicola Sturgeon in their materials. And the Conservatives were more interested in attacking Labour and the Liberal Democrats than trying to win over SNP supporters. They both stoked up the fear. It resulted in thousands of people voting for one extreme for fear of the other. In that race to the bottom, we lost out, but so did the country as the chasm grew. Ever greater radicalisation of the hardcore support on each side is not sustainable, whether Scotland is part of the UK or not, because we will need the skills and the talents of everyone to overcome the enormous challenges that we face. And there is an important lesson for those who want to keep Scotland in the United Kingdom, especially for the Conservative Party. There are many people yet to make up their mind about independence. We must reach out to them and to others to listen, to understand and to act. In this campaign, I reached out across the constitutional divide. Anis Sarwar reached out too. The Conservatives did not. That may have held it together for the Conservatives this time, but that strategy won't keep Scotland in the United Kingdom. And looking after their Conservative friends with government contracts, cutting international aid, a cavalier approach to Northern Ireland and picking fights with Europe doesn't help either. Far from being the defenders of the Union, the Conservatives are the biggest threat to the Union. But Boris Johnson and the Conservatives are not the United Kingdom. It's, the, it's bigger and it's better than that. I refuse to walk away from a partnership of peoples of the UK because of the Conservatives. I am here to work for a liberal country, an open, internationalist, reformed, caring, fair and green country, packed with opportunity for everyone, no matter what their background. That is the country I want to live in. And that is the country I will always work for. Scottish Conservative leader Douglas Ross believes he would be an excellent First Minister. But despite his best effort, he doesn't believe he'll get the votes at this time. When I was a, a child, people used to ask me, what did I want to be when I was older? And my answer was always, I wanted to be a dairy farmer. When I left school, I went to Agricultural College at Auchincrove in Ayrshire. And when I left college, I started working as a cattleman on a dairy farm in Murray. And if you'd told me back then that one day I would be standing in our debating chamber uh, appealing for votes to be Parliament's nominee for First Minister, I simply would not have believed you. And if I've started my speech with a bit of nostalgia, let me also put in a bit of reality. 
I know there is literally more chance of one of my cows fulfilling the nursery rhyme of jumping over the moon than there is of me winning this vote today. But that doesn't mean we can't try. Because while the ultimate decision may be a foregone conclusion, the route set for our First Minister and our nominee is not currently set in stone. People across Scotland want to see us pulling together, not apart. People across Scotland want a government who are determined to drive forward a legislative programme. A programme inspired by the values that have underpinned our success as a country and our progress as a society for generations. During the Scottish election campaign, Conservatives made clear a number of bills we would bring forward in this session of Parliament. Our first would be to introduce a victim's law, a detailed blueprint to overhaul our justice system in Scotland to put victims first. Never again should those who suffer at the hands of criminals feel the accused gets more support than they do. We would propose an enterprise bill to stimulate the economic growth needed to propel our country out of the COVID crisis, to protect and create jobs in every part of the country, and engage with businesses and sectors who have felt ignored for far too long. Never again should businesses in Scotland's largest city find out at the back of four on a Friday afternoon, just 40 hours before they had planned for significant reopening, that they wouldn't be moving out of the current COVID restrictions. Under the SNP, the spirit of enterprise has been stifled. Under a Scottish Conservative administration, it would be fostered and encouraged. And we would also introduce a right to rehab and recovery, to enshrine in law the right to access residential rehabilitation services. Presiding officer, never again can a Scottish First Minister take their eye off the ball as drug deaths in this country sewer. These are just some of the bills that I would take forward as First Minister, but they're also the bills that we will propose as a strong opposition and a party aspiring to govern our country in the future. Standing for First Minister today is a marker of our ambition, not only for our party, but for Scotland. Because we know that better days lie ahead. Scotland has to move on. This Parliament has to take Scotland forward. It has to be a Parliament that takes on the economic crisis and creates the jobs for the future, that tackles the climate emergency, that backs our NHS with the best funding deal since devolution. It has to be the Parliament that rises to the biggest challenges that we face in the weeks and the months and the years ahead. Presiding officer, members will know that I'm passionate about where I come from and I'm proud of my family. At just over two years old, I think my wee boy Alistair will be pretty oblivious to the fact that his dad is today seeking to become First Minister of Scotland. But when he's old enough, along with his wee brother or sister that's due in just five weeks' time, I hope they look back on our proceedings with pride. Not because of what their dad was trying to do today, but what we can all do over the next five years. The 129 of us who are honoured to be in such a privileged position, we have an opportunity to improve the lives of people that we represent. So while I'm pretty sure that I won't be Parliament's nominee for First Minister at the end of today's business, I hope by the end of this session, the session of Parliament in 2026, we can all look back on our time in office with pride, that we met the challenges that faced us and delivered for Scotland and for future generations. The third candidate to become Scotland's First Minister is SNP leader Nicola Sturgeon. If elected by the members, it will be her second full term as First Minister. 
and the second Holyrood election she's won through the popular vote. Uh, Presiding officer, can I uh, genuinely thank the other two candidates in this election? Uh, given that Douglas Ross uh, didn't express an intention to be First Minister in the election campaign, I, I guess this could be seen as a heroic, uh, if slightly belated, uh, change of heart. Um, and then, Willie Rennie. Uh, Presiding officer, I say this almost with a sneaky admiration. Uh, you see, most women, uh, even those of us like me who've been in politics for a long time, would literally give our eye teeth for just a shred of the, uh, how can I put this diplomatically, uh, self-confidence of the man who can take his party from five MSPs to just four and yet still throw his hat into the ring to be First Minister. So fair play uh, for that self-confidence, if for nothing else, presiding officer. Uh, to be serious, though, and this is a serious occasion, I am asking MSPs today to support my nomination as First Minister, and I bring with me a mandate from the voters in the election. This past year has been the most challenging that we have ever experienced. During the election campaign, I said that my overriding duty was to do everything possible to keep our country safe. And if nominated today, that will indeed be my first and my driving priority to lead us through this pandemic and to lead us into recovery, recovery of our economy, our national health service and of our society. Some COVID restrictions, of course, have eased now because of the incredible sacrifices of people across our country and the magnificent success of the vaccination programme. But we know this crisis is not over, as the current situation in Murray and in Glasgow reminds us very starkly. And as we look around the world, we also uh, can see more clearly than ever before that none of us will be entirely safe until everyone across our planet is safe. Uh, this past year has demonstrated, as never before, our common humanity and that all of our fates are intertwined. And of course, we see that in the climate emergency too. That is why COP26 in Glasgow later this year will be such a crucial event for our country and indeed for the world. Countries across the globe will be rethinking and reimagining the kinds of societies they want to be as they emerge from crisis. Here in Scotland, we must do so too. This is a time to think big. It is a time to be pioneers. Just as in many other Northern European countries, I believe there is broad agreement in Scotland about the kind of country we want to be, a more equal society with much greater economic security, a country committed to building a sustainable future for the generations to come, a Scotland that is an equal partner with our friends in the rest of the UK and across Europe, a welcoming country, not one that conducts dawn raids in multicultural communities. In government, I have sought over this past year to work across the chamber throughout the COVID crisis. If re-nominated today, I will continue to do so as we do implement a programme to kickstart recovery. That will be a programme with the NHS, the economy and jobs at its heart. And we will take an inclusive approach to the debate that all countries must have about how we can build the best possible post-pandemic future. And in that endeavour, everyone in Scotland deserves to have an equal say. Scotland's future must be Scotland's choice. 
It is in that spirit of inclusiveness and with a determination to work for all of Scotland each and every single day that I am seeking the nomination of this Parliament as Scotland's First Minister. Serving as our country's First Minister is an immense privilege, but it is also an enormous responsibility and an enormous duty. And I am ready, with the confidence of Parliament, I hope, to get on with the job of leading this country to brighter and to better times. <laughs>